My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 68, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Numbers 18, Deuteronomy 18, and Psalm 100. Numbers 18, the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your family are to bear the responsibility for offenses connected with the sanctuary. And you and your sons alone are to bear the responsibility for offenses connected with the priesthood. Bring your fellow Levites from your ancestral tribe to join you and assist you when you and your sons minister before the tent of the covenant law. They are to be responsible to you and are to perform all the duties of the tent, but they must not go near the furnishings of the sanctuary or the altar. Otherwise, both they and you will die. They are to join you and be responsible for the care of the tent of meeting, all the work at the tent, and no one else may come near where you are. You are to be responsible for the care of the sanctuary and the altar, so that my wrath will not fall on the Israelites again. I myself have selected your fellow Levites from among the Israelites as a gift to you, dedicated to the Lord to do the work at the tent of meeting. But only you and your sons may serve as priests in connection with everything at the altar and inside the curtain. I am giving you the service of the priesthood as a gift. Anyone else who comes near the sanctuary is to be put to death. Then the Lord said to Aaron, I myself have put you in charge of the offerings presented to me. All the holy offerings the Israelites give me, I give to you and your sons as your portion, your perpetual share. You are to have the part of the most holy offerings that is kept from the fire. From all the gifts they bring me as most holy offerings, whether grain or sin or guilt offerings, that part belongs to you and your sons. Eat it as something most holy. Every male shall eat it. You must regard it as holy. This also is yours. Whatever is set aside from the gifts of all the wave offerings of the Israelites, I give this to you and your sons and daughters as your perpetual share. Everyone in your household who is ceremonially clean may eat it. I give you all the finest olive oil and all the finest new wine and grain they give the Lord as the first fruits of their harvest. All the land's first fruits that they bring to the Lord will be yours. Everyone in your household who is ceremonially clean may eat it. Everything in Israel that is devoted to the Lord is yours. The first offspring of every womb, both human and animal, that is offered to the Lord is yours. But you must redeem every firstborn son and every firstborn male of unclean animals. When they are a month old, you must redeem them at the redemption price set at five shekels of silver, according to the sanctuary shekel, which weighs 20 geras. But you must not redeem the firstborn of a cow, a sheep, or a goat. They are holy. Splash their blood against the altar and burn their fat as a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Their meat is to be yours, just as the breast of the wave offering and the right thigh are yours. Whatever is set aside from the holy offerings the Israelites present to the Lord, I give to you and your sons and daughters as your perpetual share. It is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord for both you and your offspring. The Lord said to Aaron, You will have no inheritance in their land, nor will you have any share among them. I am your share and your inheritance among the Israelites. I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting, 
From now on, the Israelites must not go near the tent of meeting, or they will bear the consequences of their sin and will die. It is the Levites who are to do the work at the tent of meeting and bear the responsibility for any offenses they commit against it. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. They will receive no inheritance among the Israelites. Instead, I give to the Levites as their inheritance the tithes that the Israelites present as an offering to the Lord. That is why I said concerning them, they will have no inheritance among the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Levites and say to them, When you receive from the Israelites the tithe I give you as your inheritance, you must present a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering. Your offering will be reckoned to you as a grain from the threshing floor or juice from the winepress. In this way, you also will present an offering to the Lord from all the tithes you receive from the Israelites. For these tithes, you must give the Lord's portion to Aaron and the priests. You must present as the Lord's portion the best and holiest part of everything given to you. Say to the Levites, when you present the best part, it will be reckoned to you as the product of the threshing floor of the winepress. You and your households may eat the rest of it anywhere, for it is your wages for your work at the tent of meeting. By presenting the best part of it, you will not be guilty in this matter. Then you will not defile the holy offerings of the Israelites, and you will not die. Deuteronomy 18 The Levitical priests, indeed the whole tribe of Levi, are to have no allotment or inheritance with Israel. They shall live on the food offerings presented to the Lord, for that is their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their fellow Israelites. The Lord is their inheritance, as He promised them. This is the share due to the priests from the people who sacrificed a bull or a sheep, the shoulder, the internal organs, and the meat from the head. You are to give them the first fruits of your grain, new wine and olive oil, and the first wool from the shearing of your sheep. For the Lord your God has chosen them and their descendants out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the Lord's name always. If a Levite moves from one of your towns anywhere in Israel where he is living and comes in all earnestness to the place the Lord will choose, he may minister in the name of the Lord his God like all his fellow Levites who serve there in the presence of the Lord. He is to share equally in their benefits, even though he has received money from the sale of family possessions. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their sons or daughters in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist or who has consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Because of these same detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations you will dispossess listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up from you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him, for this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire any more, or we will die. The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites and put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name, anything I have not commanded or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods is to be put to death. You must say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? 
if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. If you remember from an earlier episode, Marty Solomon and Brett Billings from the Bema Project described the role of priesthood in four ways. One, to put God on display. Two, to help others navigate to atonement. Three, intercede or be an intercessor in prayer. And four, be prodigally generous. In this story, Numbers 18, we're seeing an emphasis on the priesthood and the Levites. This is a response to the last couple of chapters about jealousy and rebellion. Adrian Reynolds describes how this story is telling in greater detail how the priests will be responsible, protected, and provided for. The priests are a select family within the Levites, Aaron and his sons and descendants. And the rest of the Levites are to act as protectors of the priests, but not be priests. If and when Israel tries to rebel again, there's this group inside of already established to help protect and intercede between the priests and Israel. The story then talks about how they will be provided for. God is giving them the offerings set apart by the people. The priests seem to mostly be provided for by food offerings and the Levites by tithes. And both are described as not inheriting land, but the Lord himself. Yet the Levites are also to tithe. For me, I see this emphasis on people giving to God and God giving to others and the Levites giving and receiving as the type of economy God seems to be editing and leaning into from the very beginning. In the beginning, remember, he, he says, I'm going to give you a portion of my power and authority. I'm making you in my image. That's more or less how I'm reading that. I'll give you blessing and provision and progeny. And I want you to love me, be in relationship with me, and use your blessing to be a blessing to others in the way I intended. And my mind thinks back to Genesis 1 and 2 with concepts like rule, fill, subdue, work, care, name, rescue, and protect, i.e. Ezra Konegdo, each other, and creation. We also see warning throughout Numbers 18 that death, which I relate to this self-exile, because it's the result of going our own way. This is the result if we try to take roles and blessings and create our own script and way of doing things. This was also true for the Levites. Again, my brain thinks back to Genesis 2. Can we follow God's order and not eat from the tree of knowledge, but instead eat from the tree of life and be able to abide and dwell with God in the place and the way that he describes, living into a purpose we were created specifically for, and if followed leads to the type of flourishing that only occurs when we live into what we are designed for, with who we were designed for. Again, in Deuteronomy 18, we read this reference back to Numbers 18, where Moses is distinguishing the priesthood, a select family within the Levites, from the rest of the Levitical tribe. We also get this sense that the organizational structure is to be preserved by the tribe and the people of Israel. Dr. Gary Miller describes the organization of this structure and uh, as a permanent reminder that God's goal in giving them the land is actually to give them himself. This is why power games and lust to become the priest is not allowed. 
Dr. Gary Miller writes, the role of the Levites then is a perpetual reminder that ultimately, Israel has only one leader and only one God. This is followed by reminders not to worship gods in the way other nations worship their gods or to obviously worship other gods. And I don't know about you, but Deuteronomy 18.15 hits me sad. Where God is promising a prophet in response to the people in the last chapter being overwhelmed by God's direct address. Maybe I'm wrong, but my heart longs to hear, walk next to, see the Lord. But maybe for me too, it might be overwhelming. I don't know, but this just makes me sad. It's like we're asking him to distance himself. Remember, a prophet is someone who hears from God indirectly and serves God as an intercessor, an intermediary. That's why Aaron and Miriam, Moses' older brother and sister, were called a prophet. But Moses spoke to Yahweh more directly. This also reminds me how God chose the youngest of the three for a special role, which was so countercultural to their primogeniture system where the firstborn male of the family had all of the leadership and authority. Moses also gives the people some discerning insight regarding how they will know it is Yahweh's prophet. The prophet will not speak in the name of other gods and what they say will come to fruition. If not, this is a sign it's a false prophet. Deuteronomy 19 seems to be expanding on the sixth commandment or word from Exodus 20 verse 13. And one thing to note is that the 21st century King James Version states, thou shalt not kill, but the NIV and even the new King James states, do not murder. In the original language Hebrew, there is a distinction between harag, killing, and ratzah, murder. And the original scroll used ratzah or murder. Here in Deuteronomy 19, we are reading an expansion on Ratzah and that there are occasions of accidental murder. We read about an axe, for example, on the head of, you know, an axe, the the metal part, falling off when two neighbors go into the wood to cut trees. In these incidents, Moses is describing uh, the creation of establishment of organizational cities as provisions are made to offer sanctuary in refuge cities. The cultural practice of revenge killing is being edited here. Moses is distinguishing between intentional murder and accidental murder. This sets up for the sanctuary refuge cities is allowed for accidental murders for this cooldown period, and it prevents innocent bloodshed. However, intentional murder is another matter, where Moses is describing the response to be extradition from the refuge cities if they run there by order of the elders, which implies some sort of shared leadership decision on the matter, and not just like, you know, the thoughts of an individual or a person in power or the mob, right? And the guilty party is handed over to the avenger as the elders establish rule. And this story, like we read about in the first murder in Genesis of Abel by Cain, describes how innocent blood lost creates a division. Dr. Gary Miller describes it as this impairment between the people and God, which just cannot stand. It cannot be. Lastly, we read about the importance of more than one witness, at least two or three, to convict anyone of an accused crime. There is also this picture being painted where the witnesses are before God, priests, and judges in verse 17. And then in verse 18, we also read that the persuasive communication skills of the witnesses are still not enough, but the judges are called to due diligence, as we would say it in the U.S. The judges are called to, it says, thorough investigation. 
The story ends by describing that false witness has serious ramifications. In verse 19, Moses describes how the desired outcome of a false witness on the person should be in fact done to them if they're found to be a false witness. That's serious. Even as a professor, when we're discussing ethical marketing cases, I encourage my students to avoid rash judgments and inflammatory wording because accusations should be vetted and there should be a thorough investigation. It's easy to call someone unethical, but isn't it true that we all tend to think of ourselves as ethical and the other party as unethical? To be honest, I'm not sure unethical really exists. From my point of view, a person may not have the same ethics as you, But even a narcissist, for example, has ethics. It's me and mine. And therefore, they may, in fact, follow their ethic to determine what they think is good, bad, better, or best on the premise that is it good, bad, better, or best for me and mine. The real question is a meta-ethics question. What is the source of the ethics we're using to make decisions? So what informs what we think is right and wrong? And can we go deeper and be more clear than just, for example, using Western Greek and ethics or things that are set in philosophy, science, or culture? Can we anchor it all the way back to scripture? Pray for me. I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.